Good morning. Good, good to be with you this morning. Uh, you'll see in your bulletins that the, the text for the sermon is, is Psalm uh, 148. It's one of the final psalms. There are 150 uh, psalms. Uh, the 16th century reform, reformer John Calvin described the psalms as an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. Maybe you've heard that quote before. He goes on and says, there's not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. He says, all the griefs and sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be distracted are here represented in the Psalms. Now, I say that to point out that the final five psalms in the Psalter of the 150 are unique. You see this in Psalm 148. If you look at the psalm, either in your Bible or as it's printed in your bulletin, it begins and ends with praise the Lord. And so do each of the final five psalms in the Psalter. They begin and end with praise the Lord. They're known as the Hillel Psalms because Hillel is the Hebrew word for praise. And so although the Psalms, as John Calvin says, are a mirror of all the parts of the soul, reflecting all the fears, doubts, concerns, uh, perplexities that, that we experience, uh, the Psalms as a whole end with this sustained chorus of praise. Uh, not every psalm is a psalm of praise, but the psalms end in this series of psalms of praise. And, and what that means for you, if you're in Christ, is this is the trajectory of your life. Uh, despite all the doubts, uh, despite the perplexities, uh, despite the grief and sorrows that are also expressed in the psalms, the trajectory of your life in Christ is this sustained praise that's represented in these final psalms, of which Psalm 148 is a part. And so with that in mind, let me read this psalm for us as we focus our attention on, on the praise that's described here for us in Psalm 148. The psalmist writes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him. In the heights, praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and all flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel 
who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Father, as we uh, consider your word, would you fill us with the praise that's described here? Uh, would we see ourselves in the world around us as we ought, that we might sing your praise? Uh, we pray this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's uh, unfortunate as we consider a psalm like this that we cannot sing together, right? That's, that's the impulse that it should, uh, it should call forth from us as we reread these repeated uh, calls to praise. Uh, it, should, it should draw forth a desire from ourselves uh, to praise, as, as is described here, to join in, in this cosmic chorus of praise. And again, I want to say that is the trajectory of your life in Christ, though you may not feel that even now. Uh, that is the trajectory of life in Christ, despite the griefs and sorrows, the perplexities, uh, the full range of emotions that we experience in, in this fallen world, a cosmic chorus of praise in which all of creation participates is the trajectory as it is in the Psalms. And, and the clear sense here is that you and I do not really understand the world as an entirety or all of its various parts. We don't understand the world and all of its various parts unless we see the whole of it as oriented to the praise of the Lord, as is described here for us. You uh, remember back when we could uh, all gather together freely, unmuted by masks, which you now wear, uh, the, the freedom and the joy of going maybe to a sporting event or a restaurant, a museum, uh, a concert, whatever, whatever it may be. And, and one of the things that we, what, that we miss about uh, such occasions is, is not simply the joy of doing different things and, and not simply the joy of doing different things with a lot of different people. Uh, but there's, there's, an, there's an energy that, that comes from participating in, in such things, right? There's an energy, there's, there's an excitement, there's an energy um, that you cannot experience uh, doing things by yourself alone. Think of stadiums, largest stadiums, at least in our country, are college football stadiums, some of which hold over 100,000 people. Really think about that. It, it's quite amazing. Of course, if you've ever been to a large uh, college football game, uh, there's this constant noise as you're surrounded by 100,000 different people. Uh, people are shouting out different things. Various side conversations are, are happening. Uh, all of this noise. But there are times when the cheerleaders on the field uh, uh, gather the entire uh, population of the stadium together in a focused cheer. Uh, we're in Pennsylvania, so you know some of these cheers at Penn State. We are, says one half of the stadium, and Penn State responds the other 50,000 people in the stadium. A personal favorite of mine is Georgia, and the other half of the stadium responds Bulldogs. But it's quite an amazing thing. Uh, 100,000 people orchestrated in, in this cheer. Now, imagine if you could orchestrate that within an entire city. Uh, or larger, imagine if you could orchestrate such a cheer in the entire state. This back 
and forth, or an entire time zone, or an entire country. And as you imagine that, you're on your way uh, to sensing what it is that this psalm describes for us, this cosmic chorus of praise in which all of creation is involved. That's the picture. And the aim as we consider this cosmic chorus of praise that's described here is a, is a challenge for us to consider the way we understand the world. You and I do not understand the world rightly unless we see the whole of it together focused on the cosmic chorus of praise that's called forth in, in this psalm. And, and so that's what we'll consider as we look more carefully at it. This psalm says that the Lord has established a relationship with creation that results in this praise. And that's what we'll spend our time looking at first, this relationship that the Lord has entered into his creation, with his creation, uh, when he made it all oriented towards his praise. If you look at verse 5, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Now, if you think about the description here and, and all that's a part of it, um, if we're really to stop and, and think about all the various things which are praising the Lord, it might sound strange to us. It begins in, in verse 1, a calling for praise from the heavens, praise him from the heights. And you see there in verse two, it, it includes angelic beings, the heavenly hosts. And of course, yes, we think of these uh, from a biblical uh, perspective, a biblical worldview as, as living beings, conscious, sentient beings um, who can praise the Lord. But if you look in the following verse, it also calls the sun and the moon and the shining stars to praise him. And we might look at that and think this is simply a poetic imagination, a poetic exuberance, uh, attributing life to things that actually don't have life. But we, we get the point. Uh, the point is that everything is to praise the Lord. But can things like the sun and the moon and, and the shining stars, as is described here, the waters above the heavens, sea creatures in the deeps, birds, of the air, beasts of the field, can these things truly praise the Lord? Well, this psalm assumes and, and claims that they actually do, that heaven and earth and the fullness thereof is oriented to God's praise. And again, if that indeed is true, then it means there's, there's a problem with the way we tend to look at the world. We tend to, to think of the world primarily in impersonal terms with our post-enlightenment uh, scientific outlook, uh, where our aim is to understand more and more of the details of things. Uh, more and more of how things work and, and function together, the mechanics of the universe, um, how it's related, how it works. And, and of course, those discoveries are wonderful and helpful and true. This 
a scientific examination of the world. But the problem is when that becomes your perspective on all things, when that becomes the limitation of what you might call your worldview, when what you think is true is limited to the things that you see and the things that you understand in terms of the details. But according to this psalm and according to the whole of Scripture, is that we truly don't understand things if you think you comprehend the workings of this world simply by virtue of the mechanics of things. See, that's the problem is we depersonalize the world. We depersonalize the, the sun, the moon, the stars, because we see them simply in the relationship that they sustain to one another rather than seeing them in relationship with the personal God who has created them all. See, that's why the psalmist looks at everything in these deeply personal terms, not because they have a life of their own, not because they have a consciousness like our own, but because they are created by a personal God and created to be oriented as a whole to his praise. You may have noticed this if you're familiar with, with Scripture. As you read this psalm, you see that it, it loosely follows the days of creation that are described in Genesis chapter 1. There God, if you remember, separates the heavens from the earth. He separates the waters above from the waters below, the sun, the moon, the stars are, are created above. And then you have the beasts of the field and all the other creatures below. And you see that order through this psalm, the above, which is described in verses 1 through 6. And then verses 7 through 14 of Psalm 148 describe the world below. Uh, concluding, of course, in verses 11 and 12, describing the creation of humanity, which, of course, in Genesis chapter 1 is the, the conclusive, the climactic moment of creation. Those who bear God's image together with the rest of his creation to praise the Lord. If you look at verses 11 and 12 of Psalm 148, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, Young men and maidens together, old men and children, all people. But you see, again, what makes it all personal is not your involvement with it, not my involvement with it. What makes all of it personal together is that it's created by per this personal God. You know, you, you may have noticed, and, and you may know this, some of you do, when you see, as you do in this psalm, Lord spelled out in our English translations, all capital letters. Uh, that's the way the English is translating uh, the name Yahweh in the Old Testament. And Yahweh, of course, in the Old Testament is God's personal, God's covenantal name, the Lord, Yahweh, who he is in relationship with his people, even who he is in relationship with his creation. It's personal. He is, he is Yahweh. It's describing his personal relationship 
with the whole of his creation, and the whole of it responds to him with the praise that's described here. Surely most of you have, have been to the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Uh, I recall when my wife and I lived here 25 years ago or so visiting when we were students at Westminster. We've gone since we've been back and taken our, our children there as well. And, and, and when I go, I'm, I'm reminded of the one art history course I took as an undergraduate at, at the University of, of Georgia. And the first time I went to the Philadelphia Museum of Art, I was amazed that some of the works that I remember from, from that course are in that museum, right? Works by Monet, by Degas, Salvador Dali, Picasso, Van Gogh, many, many others. Many of these world-renowned works of arts are in that museum. And, and of course, in, a, in any museum, works of art are not randomly selected. Their value is related to the artist who produces them. You know, every once in a while, there'll be this new discovery, quote unquote, of, of some forgotten or unknown piece by some famous artist. I think in the past 10 years, I've seen this uh, happen with Rembrandt's hanging in someone's uh, a hallway. Uh, for, for years, maybe passed down to the family, and all of a sudden it's discovered as a, a Rembrandt that was previously unknown or, or had been thought lost. And once you know it's a Rembrandt, you can never look at it in the same way again. And you see, the same should be true, this psalmist is saying, for all things, if you know all things as you ought to know them in relationship to their creator, as you look upon them, your thoughts and your praise should immediately be drawn to the Lord, the one who has created them all. I mentioned this description of, of humanity in verses 11 through 12. Again, uh, created in God's image, you can think of, of the significance of that in Genesis 1, and you see this play out. Uh, created in God's image to be stewards, or you might think of, of created in God's image to be cultivators, calling forth God's praise from the rest of the creation. And in fact, that's what you see the psalmist doing. He's fulfilling his humanity as he calls forth praise to the Lord from the rest of creation. And it includes all of humanity. Children, those of you who are young, you are included. Uh, the psalmist here speaks to you, you see, in, in verse 12. And so think about this. If you're younger, when you learn something new and there's this sense of amazement and wonder, you had never seen this before, you know, you know what's happening in that moment when you experience that wonder and amazement when you observe something new? Do you know that the Lord at that very moment is calling forth praise from you, that in your amazement and wonder, your hearts and minds might be drawn to the one who created them all. It's not impersonal. It's amazing and wonderful because of who the Lord is. But you see, this leads to the problem that we have, doesn't it? At least the problem that I have is that we become so engrossed in the things before us that we forget this larger reality. Uh, we're not oriented to the Lord's praise. Right? This psalm reveals something wrong in us. If we don't react to the world around us 
in this way, then there's something wrong. And that's what I want us to consider in the next point, how we are focused on the details before us. Something has happened where we're no longer oriented to the Lord's praise that's described here in Psalm 148. Again, all of this sounds great. Uh, we, we want to experience the world around us in the way that the psalmist describes, but we look around and we're not sensing this cosmic chorus of praise that the psalmist calls for here. Why, why is that? Why is this praise so muted? Well, together with the rest of humanity, uh, Scripture says we all bear responsibility. Those who were created in God's image to cultivate all things to his praise now live for the praise of lesser things. Those created in his image to cultivate all things to his praise now live for the praise of lesser things. And this psalm, too, hints at that. And it all sounds uh, so positive, but there's actually this subtle polemic. Uh, there's this argument that's happening uh, in this psalm. Uh, and you see this in verse 5 as he talks about how the Lord commanded and all things were created, including the sun, the moons, the, the, the stars. But the nations around Israel, right? Here's the psalmist calling forth praise from all of creation, but the nations around Israel, some of them worship these very things. These very things that the psalmist says are oriented to the praise of the Lord other people worshiped as ends in themselves. And of course, that's what the Bible describes as idolatry. You can think of it as living to the praise of lesser things. It's what the Apostle Paul describes in Romans 1, as he describes this exchange that humanity has made, exchanging the Creator for things that are created. Remember, all things together with humanity are to live to the praise of the Lord, but instead we treat lesser things as sins in themselves. You know, we, we might think of idolatry as something that humanity by and large has, has moved beyond, uh, but it's simply become more refined. See, do you, do you live for the praise of lesser things? Do you treat lesser things as ends in themselves? Do you cultivate your relationships to the praise of the Lord? Or are they oriented towards something else? Do you cultivate your abilities, your intelligence to the praise of the Lord? Or is it to draw attention to yourself? Whatever it may be. You see, that's why there's no sustained chorus of praise. It's because we are all living towards the end of, of lesser things, to the praise of lesser things, and that's why there's simply a bunch of noise in our own lives and in the world around us, and the impact of that is felt by the entirety of, of creation. You may be familiar with the name George Whitfield, famous preacher during the Great Awakening in the mid-1700s. That time, uh, he came to colonial America from, from England, preached up and down the East Coast, spent a considerable amount of time in uh, Philadelphia. 
And one of the things he, he would say uh, in his sermons as an illustration to make a, pointed per, a point, uh, uh, he would ask this question. He would say, do you know why the beasts of the forest flee at your presence? Why they howl at you? Why the birds screech and fly away? It is because they know you have a quarrel with their maker. You see, that, that, that makes the, the point here. All of creation is to be unified in their praise to the Lord. And the rest of creation knows something that you and I don't know so often that has been disrupted, that this world created to praise him is now under a curse due to sin. And so groans have replaced praise. And Paul also describes that in his letter to the Romans. In Romans chapter 8, he describes the entirety of creation groaning together, he says, subjected to futility. All of creation is crying out, something is wrong. The sun now scorches. Uh, the winds now destroy. Kings of the earth wage war. Groans have replaced the praise that the psalmist describes. But Paul also holds out hope there. In Romans chapter 8, he says that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. See, Paul foresees when this cosmic chorus of praise will come together once again. And that brings us to the, the final point, how the Lord provides a new reason for us to sing his praise. And you see this in the very final verse of this psalm in verse 14, if you look there, where the psalmist says, he, the Lord, has raised up a horn for his people praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. You know, horn in the ancient world was a symbol of power and strength. Not the horn, the instrument that you play, but the horn on an animal. It's a sign of power, of strength. And so you read the Old Testament, at times you'll see horns representing different kings. And so again, in, in this psalm as a whole, you have this uplifting up, uh, positive thrust, but there's this recognition of need that it concludes with. A recognition of, of a need of a, of a horn that will be lifted up, a king who will come that will be his people's praise. And you get to the New Testament, of course, Jesus is described in this very way. In Luke's gospel, if you recall, in Luke chapter 1, towards the end, in verse 69, Zechariah is, is prophesying of, of this one who will soon be born. And he says this just before Jesus' birth. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us that we should be saved. And then you recall the scene at Jesus' birth in the very next chapter of Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 2. Do you recall what happens 
This chorus of praise from the heavens breaks in. The angelic hosts appear singing praise about this Savior who is to be born. Glory to God in the highest, the angels sing. And on earth, the heights as well as the earth below, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Here at the birth of Jesus, heaven and earth are combined once again in this chorus of praise focused on Jesus Christ himself. As John said, we're reading through Philippians, and not to move ahead uh, too far, but in Philippians chapter 2, Paul uh, writes out what some believe to be part of a early hymn in, in the life of the church focused on Jesus, and it describes how though he was equal with God above, he did not consider equality with, uh, with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, uh, making himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Paul says. And if you remember in the gospel, once this happens, as, as Matthew records it, at Jesus' death, creation responds. Darkness descends. A hush falls upon the earth. But then he is raised. And so Paul goes on, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, what this means is that the only way you can participate in this cosmic chorus of praise is through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and our salvation. You've probably all seen the pictures of cathedral ceilings. Here we have a high ceiling, and, and behind us there's the slightest hint of what you might see on a cathedral ceiling uh, which has images, heavenly beings, and maybe those who have gone before through redemptive history recorded in Scripture. And, and though that can become a distraction, the intent is that in worship you be reminded that you are participating in something much greater than the voices that we raise, humanly speaking, as we're gathered together that you're participating in the cosmic chorus of praise that's described here that reaches through the ages that his grace has made you a participant in. We only have glimpses of that now as we gather together anticipating the new creation that's described in places like Revelation 21. Of course, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the hope, again, Revelation 21, as Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new, that the conclusion will be the sustained cosmic chorus of praise that we, along with all creation, will participate in. But it begins with you now. It begins with us as we worship. It begins with you as you are renewed in the image of God, the likeness of your Savior, Behold, if anyone is in Christ, 
new creation. The chapter before, Paul says uh, that outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That from forth, coming forth from our mouths is this praise anticipating the fulfillment that's described even here in Psalm 148 with great hope for what God has promised to do and indeed has done already in his son and our savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Gracious, uh, almighty, wonderful God, we confess our sins that our praise is muted because it has been directed to things other than you. Uh, would you, through your word, even this psalm, as we understand it in relation to the saving work of your son, draw forth the praise uh, that should come from us as those made in your image and what's more redeemed by your son. And so though now we experience all the Emotions described throughout the Psalms, fears, griefs, doubts, sorrows, perplexities. We might see this as the end, this praise uh, that will be constant as we live for your glory along with the rest of your creation. We pray that with great hope and confidence in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Savior. Amen.